Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is made possible through the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation and we come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. Today's program will focus on the case of Julian Assange and the broader issue of press freedom as it applies to us, the public, and in particular for journalists who are workers too. When I travel my homeward tram journey towards the sea, I see the word Assange, hero, in black permanent marker on the silver tarnished power poles on each corner. The letters skive upwards as if the writer was in a hurry, careful not to be sprung. The fact is, it isn't an isolated pole, a glimmer of dissent, a personal opinion suddenly taken outward expression, colourful like a butterfly. It's on every pole over time. Julian Assange, the digital genius who began young life setting up the first public access internet service in Melbourne, Julian Assange, who spent years of hours creating open source software for public use and helping the Melbourne police to track down a pedophile using his computing skills, Julian Assange, who put the spotlight on international government collusion in war crimes against civilians in Iraq and Afghanistan through WikiLeaks and a collaboration for amplification with mainstream media. Julian Assange, who now is being held in maximum security facility Belmarsh in England, while America seeks extradition so that they can put him in prison for life for telling on them and while Australia does nothing. Julian Assange is an Australian citizen, and for the person writing in black texter, a hero, a defender of democracy in a world where the mad ones run the asylum. Christian Haffinson, CEO of WikiLeaks and a well-respected Icelandic journalist, recently visited Australia. He spoke at the National Press Club and addressed journalists privately. The story was the incarceration of Julian Assange and the US move to have him in front of one of their secret courts, but also the broader issue of press freedom. We will first hear from Christian's speech at an event held to raise public support for Julian Assange, followed by a snippet of a panel discussion with Julian Burnside, one of Julian's lawyers, Sue Lett. Dreyfus, academic author and expert on cyber security, who worked with Julian on the early open access internet service in Melbourne, and Christian from WikiLeaks, chaired by lawyer and author Lizzie O'Shea. First, we hear from Christian Happenson, WikiLeaks editor-in-chief. Good evening, Melbourne. So happy to be in the city. So happy to see the turnout here tonight. I can see that you are concerned, as I am, about the case of Julian Assange. I am uh, particularly happy to uh, be here in the last sort of uh, city tour that I am doing here on this visit. I was in Sydney, in Canberra, and now in Melbourne. Uh, it is a, an important place. This is the, after all, it's the, uh, the birthplace of WikiLeaks, where it all started. 
where the journey began in much happier times. And in those happier times, uh, back in the days when, uh, when things were easier, when Julie and I could sit and, and talk freely about uh, the past, uh, he told me stories about what had uh, fired here in the city. And some of these stories came back to me today, driving through this uh, beautiful city. Stories of uh, uh, him putting up uh, the first uh, free internet uh, service provider in the city. Um, him assisting the police uh, in eradicating a, a pedophile ring successfully. Now, this is the person I knew in the days, a person that uh, hasn't changed in his heart. This is what uh, I learned about him when we discussed about the discussed internet freedom and information freedom. Me being this uh, square journalist from the mainstream media after 20 years of practice there, getting uh, a bit uh, desperate about uh, where the mainstream media was going, and he coming from this environment, from this background, where we shared ideals, and uh, it uh, quickly aspired into friendship, and then cooperation, and uh, we became co-workers, and the uh, rest is history. Now, I saw him in Belmar's prison about a month ago, and... Uh, the state is deteriorating. It is absolutely uh, horrifying that a man, Julian Assange, should be sitting in a maximum security prison on remand uh, under worse circumstances than the most uh, terrorists who are serving sentences in that prison, according to lawyers who know the environment and who have worked inside Belmar's prison. That is absolutely unacceptable that a journalist and a publisher that has done nothing wrong, that has done nothing but practiced journalism. He had committed the crime of journalism, as we say, should be sitting there. When I come from these meetings and uh, finally get out of the three double-door locks and get my belongings back because I can't even take a pencil inside or a paper, uh, I am... Uh, it takes a while to get back faith in humanity because it's so heartbreaking to leave him behind, inside there, seeing his health deteriorate, his weight uh, loss becoming more apparent and slowly seeing the, the light of life fading out of his eyes. It's, it just cannot continue. A line has been crossed. A red line has been crossed. I don't, have, have to, I don't have to go into much technical details because I'm fairly certain that most of you know the elements of the case, the overreach by the empire, by the U.S. empire, who is taking it up, up upon itself to have a universal jurisdiction, uh, taking the right that they can patch an Australian citizen into English territory for acts that were performed in England, in Germany, in Sweden, in my home country, Iceland. This is totally unacceptable. We cannot accept that. And for what? For what they call espionage. He is the first individual. He is the first journalist who is 
indicted on the basis of a 101-year-old Espionage Act, a relic from the First World War, where actually lawmakers at the time were warning of the possible abuse of that legal framework. And it lay dormant for decades, up until the Obama administration when they found it in a drawer and started using it to persecute whistleblowers. We said at the time, this is only the beginning. This is laying the groundwork for what is to come. Whistleblowers first and the sources, but they will come after journalists. That's going to be the next step. And now they've crossed that line as well. And Julian Assange is the first. Unless we do not take action and say enough is enough, he will not be the last. The president will be set of the extraterritorial reach and the use of this ridiculous legal framework to equate journalism with espionage. We must fight for his freedom and we must fight for his life because if he is extradited to the United States, he will end his life in a maximum security prison in the U.S. It is de facto a death penalty if he is thrown on a rendition flight and flown across the Atlantic to the United States. Now, on my travel here uh, in the last few days, I have sensed that there is support, there is growing support for Julian Assange. I'm not saying I saw a lot of it in Canberra, but there is support among the general public. I have met probably on three meetings, uh, or four meetings rather, including the National Press Club event yesterday, a uh, hundred plus journalists. Uh, and I sensed that they understand the implication. You might say it's because of self-interest, but wherever it comes from, they understand, they are beginning to understand the gravity of the situation. And it might be possibly because of what happened in June this summer, as you mentioned, the raids on journalists unprecedented here on the offices of ABC and in the home where they went through the private belongings of a journalist. That was a wake-up event. Maybe then they understood how close to home this is and how Julian is basically standing on the edge of a cliff, but they are slowly and gradually being pushed in the same direction. They will go off the cliff if Julian goes off. So it's their case. This movement that has been brought forward, of course, is uh, uh, partly to thank the good work of many individuals. Some of you are here tonight, and I really want to thank you for your work. It doesn't often take numbers to change history. I often reflect back to the, the Dreyfus case in the mid-1890s, uh, about 1895, I think, the uh, officer Dreyfus in France was brought before a court, sentenced to life imprisonment on the basis of treason, of espionage. And if you reflect back to that history, it is a, an amazing similarity. And everybody in France knows of this case, and the people of outside France as well, because it's a symbolic case that, of a travesty of justice that should never be forgotten. Dreyfus was 
dragged in front of a secret court. Sounds familiar? They planted evidence. They smeared his name. And in the end, he was sentenced to life imprisonment and sent to Devil's Island off the coast of Latin America to serve the rest of his remaining life. One commentator at the time, he described the atmosphere in Paris and in France as such that uh, the only regret the general public had about the Dreyfus case that the death penalty had just recently been abolished for violations of that nature. Such hatred was against Dreyfus. And there, were, there was nobody in the beginning who stood up to defend his name except one person, his brother, who just didn't want to see this happening, who recognized the injustice and, of course, wanted to save his brother's life. So he started campaigning, one man, and little by little he made progress. He got the intellectuals on board. They started campaigning and writing, and, of course, we all know the, the famous front-page letter by Emile Sola, Jacques, which he had to, had to pay a, a, a price for. He was actually sentenced for defamation and had to serve had to flee the country to London, of all places, and spend two years there. And the momentum grew, because people are good people when they see and get the evidence. When they see, when they are presented with the evidence and somebody cares and raises the alarm. And within 10 years, he was back in France. His reputation reinstated, he was cleaned of all charges, offered back into the military and served in the First World War. It took 10 years, going from absolute zero, from death, to restored life. So even though times are dark, you'd never give up. A crowd of one man in the street holding a sign, a group of individuals fighting. It's not the numbers, it's the principle, and I sense the numbers are growing. More and more people are aware that this is unacceptable and we must fight it. We need to use the momentum. We need to convince the journalists to write the truth about what's going on in this country and elsewhere. And we need the journalists and the public to put a pressure on the politicians in this country. Absolutely done nothing to help Julian Assange. That is unacceptable that an Australian citizen be abandoned by his own government. And you should all tell the, the politicians that it's unacceptable. But we should not give up. There's a fight ahead, and we don't have much time. There's a hearing on the extradition on, on February 25th, but that's not the end of it. There will be appeals, but I'm certain that justice will prevail, because it's the right thing to do, Enough people will understand, slowly and gradually, that they don't want the dishonor of having to answer questions from their children or their grandchildren in the future when they are asked, where were you? Did you stay silent? Did you do nothing? Or did you help Julian Assange? That's the right thing to do. I hope that you will assist me and all others in raising the alarm and get him out of this place that he's in. Thank you.
You're listening to Stick Together, and today we are at a forum focusing on Julian Assange and the need to free him. We will go to the panel discussion with Julian Burnside, one of Julian's lawyers, Sue Lett Dreyfus, academic author and expert on cybersecurity, who worked with Julian on the early open access internet service in Melbourne, and Christian Haffinson from WikiLeaks, a session chaired by lawyer and author Lizzie O'Shea. Christian, I wanted to come back to you because I want you to give it to us straight. Reporters Without Borders has ranked Australia's 21st in the world for press freedom in 2019, dropping two places since last year. We've talked about these raids, obviously, but uh, the constitutional lawyer George Williams has pointed out that since September 11, 2001, we've had 75 rounds of national security legislation um, of varying degrees of seriousness for the uh, practice of national security journalism. What is our reputation abroad or what's your perspective as an outsider in terms of uh, our freedom of the press and the effect that that has on democracy? Well, what I knew about uh, the the press in this country uh, before I met Julian and uh, throughout uh, was was limited. I knew there was a a concentration of ownership, same problem we see in other territories, which of course is problematic. Uh, I learned about... uh, you know, the usual uh, attempt to uh, stifle public broadcaster through uh, strangling or limiting the blood flow, blood flow, basically through budgetary cuts. Uh, that is a problem that is occurring everywhere, seeing that as a pattern. Um, I think that, uh, that uh, the press freedom in, uh, in Australia, as observed by, uh, by uh, other uh, nations is that it is uh, relatively okay. Uh, I was actually stunned to learn just recently about uh, all these legal actions that have been taken against uh, uh, press freedom and civil liberties in this country, 70 plus legislation since, since the turn of the century, since 9-11 basically. Uh, so I was a bit surprised to get to know the, 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 the serious situation or the level of uh, of, uh, of uh, the limitations that the press in Australia have to deal with. Uh, but I also want to say that, uh, that uh, you see that in, in other countries as well. Uh, press freedom is under attack all over the world. Uh, and uh, the attack on journalists are happening in, 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 uh, in every country on a more regular basis than before. And partly, the, the raids here this summer were possibly a pattern that you could link to the arrest of Julian Assange on April 11, in that uh, uh, disgraceful manner than when he was arrested and dragged out of the embassy. I believe that that, that event emboldened those who want to crack down on press freedom. I think there's a link between what happened there and what happened here in June. I think there's a link between what happened to Julian and the attacks on, on journalists in, in Brazil, where journalists like Grant Greenwald might face prosecution and arrest. There have been arrests in the United States as well. I was at the Bundestag in Germany uh, just two days before flying to Australia, and I heard of cases, very worrisome cases, in European countries. So this is a universal thing, and it's all linked together. This is a concentrated attack on press freedom all over the world. And when one 
government takes steps like here in Australia, it sends a signal. It sends a signal it's okay. So that's so it's a it's like a virus. It will spread. So we have to fight back now before everything is lost. Very important we do that. I, I think it's worth adding to that. If if what Julian Assange did was a problem, let's be candid. Back when he when WikiLeaks published that stuff about what had happened in Iraq, not many people were getting news from WikiLeaks. The reason all of us heard about it was because of the Murdoch press. The, the Murdoch press republished the juicy bits. Now, no one is going after Rupert Murdoch saying he's a criminal. No one is trying to extradite him to anywhere or prosecute him for anything. What is it that Assange has done that Murdoch didn't do? apart from the fact that he brought it to the attention of fewer people. Now, I think that's the thing you need to take real account of if you're concerned about freedom of the press. The press is sort of selectively free. You know, if you're a big mogul, then you can do or say what you like. America is trying to extradite Assange from Britain right now on espionage charges which do not attract the First Amendment defence. The First Amendment defence, you'll recall, became very important for Daniel... Ellsberg in connection with Watergate because although the original material had been leaked illegally and the leaking it no doubt was a criminal offence, the publication of it was said by the Supreme Court of the US not to be a criminal offence because of the First Amendment. Now, if that's right, we ought to be outraged that the American government is now trying to extradite him to America and, as Kristen said, it will amount to a life sentence. He faces the prospect of dying in jail over there. And let's not be coy about this. Um, the, the person who leaked the material to him, who's now known as Chelsea Manning, has recently been thrown in jail by a grand jury, placed in an all-male jail by the authorities, but held in solitary confinement to protect him from the other male prisoners because he's transsexual. Now, if that's not an indication of where America is going, I don't know what else is. We really need to be very worried about the state of journalism and the risk at which journalists stand. Julian Assange is a great illustration of that. Uh, he shouldn't be. He doesn't deserve it. Um, I think I'd be less animated about this if Rupert Murdoch was facing the same fate. Uh, but even even for him... Even for him, I would say his rights need to be defended and Assange's rights need to be defended and your rights need to be defended because what is happening to journalism across the West puts all of us at risk. We are actually... We are seeing, with cases like Witness J and the treatment of Assange and Australia's total indifference to it, we are seeing Australia developing into a kind of... Um, and I say, I was going to say autocracy, but a dictatorship, something like that. Um, and it's very worrying. It should concern every single one of you. It... Just on a note, uh, uh, when I met Daniel Ellsberg in London a few years ago, uh, he, of course, reminded me that they tried to pin... The Espionage Act on him, this was in the early 70s, Nixon era, 
unsuccessfully. Uh, and he, he, he told me something that, uh, that sort of stuck to me. He said, you know, if, if I were in my battle uh, today, in our times, uh, I would never see daylight again. I would not have won. So when we reflect on, on, on the past, we usually think we have progressed to something better. People look back at Nixon and the Vietnam War and that era as, you know, a time of darkness and uh, eroding civil liberties. But actually, we are worse off now than in the height of the Nixon era. How scary is that? Well, that's where, what actually I wanted to talk about now. The, of course, there's journalists who are threatened by uh, these laws and obviously then the execution of these laws by various government officials, but there's also sources and whistleblowers that um, face very serious consequences for revealing information. Uh, and I wanted to raise not just Chelsea Manning, but also... Um, the ATO whistleblower, Richard Boyle, he's now been charged with 66 offences and faces potentially 161 years in prison, which I think is an astonishing figure. Um, so, let you obviously work quite a bit with uh, whistleblowers and um, similar kind of sources. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, the, the, the very serious threats that are facing sources? So, whistleblowers, the good news is... Uh, they are at least being properly recognised as whistleblowers. Uh, the bad news is we have a long way to travel yet. And uh, speaking about the ATO Boyle case, you know, this is not um, some obscure thing in another country outside Australia. This is a whistleblower who blew the whistle on the ATO not following its own policies and procedures about garnishing money out of people's bank accounts. The government's ability to reach into your bank account and take money out of it that's, it's really important to follow policy and procedures on that because otherwise you end up with an authoritarian state that, you know, is not what we all signed up for. So, but it's not only the Boyle case, it's, it's internationally. It's the Jeffrey Sterling case. This was a former uh, CIA officer who was a whistleblower. Um, this case is very interesting out of the United States because we think it's the first case where a whistleblower has been convicted um, on the basis of metadata. Um, so not actually on, uh, we were there recording the secret conversation you had with a journalist, but we have the little electronic breadcrumb trail that connects you. Uh, and that was the basis of, of his conviction time in prison. Um, we've seen another uh, disturbing trend. So in Europe, uh, we've seen the Anna Garrido case. Um, in Spain, uh, she worked in the Madrid town hall. She revealed corruption um, at a local level, and 10 years on, the truth came out. It went all the way up to national politics uh, and caused the fall of the government and the president in Spain. Getting up and speaking up is the answer because it is starting to have an impact. And especially because, as Kristen said, a line has been crossed. And we're all on the wrong side of the line. Remember that. That's it for Stick Together this week. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and on iTunes. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together.